You're listening to My Therapy with Justin Dickey. It's Tuesday, March 20th, and we have a good friend of mine on the show today. Garrett Chisholm and I worked together about five years ago and recently came to bond again over our mental health issues, oddly enough. We uh, both came out to the world with our respective illnesses on Bell Let's Talk Day, January 31st, 2018. And ever since, I've found like a renewed kind of connection and interest in making sure, you know, Garrett's okay and that sort of thing. And he checks in on me. And it's, uh, it's nice in a way. <laughs> Sounds weird. But, uh, when you can basically re- restart a friendship over this, you know, nobody wants to be sick, but if something good can come out of it, that's what this is, so I'm going to take it for what it is, and I'm okay with that. So Garrett's coming on the podcast today. We had a good conversation, and hope you enjoy it, but before we get to that, uh, I just want to provide an update from the last podcast I talked about my options going forward post-hospital. I had a couple options to work with. One was to do an outpatient program at the Oakville Hospital. The Burlington Hospital is still offered a spot in their outpatient program, but uh, I'm not entirely sure that either one is the right fit for me right now. Uh, When I went in for my intake assessment in Oakville, they had mentioned that there's no one-on-one therapy in the outpatient program, which was not consistent with the story that I was told while I was in hospital. It's all group therapy, apparently, and I was told that after I said that I had done CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, for about five months now, that we wouldn't get as in-depth as I have already been in the group therapy on that therapy, CBT. So what does that leave me with? A group dynamic might be helpful, but I don't know if that's exactly what I need right now. I'm also going to you know, look into some other options that I can contribute to a group setting outside of the hospital, so to be determined on that, but yeah, I'm just not sure that that's going to be the right solution for me at this point, and the Burlington one was the same thing, no one-on-one, all group, so first of all, like I was told there was one-on-one, and there was just inconsistencies between the two stories, between the psychiatrist that I saw on the ward, and what the outpatient intake person told me, and that made me very uncomfortable. So I kind of, I'm not entirely sure I trust it, and maybe that that's kind of my hang-up. I guess that shouldn't distract someone else from pursuing if they think that's what's best for them. I'm just not sure it is. The biggest problem I had with the inconsistencies between what the psychiatrist said and what the intake person said 
was that I left the hospital last week understanding that I would get right into a program that would have a daily one-on-one therapy. And that gave me a little hope and that made me feel comfortable with leaving. And to find out that that doesn't exist and to find it out after I'm already like in a vulnerable position as someone who needs immediate help didn't sit very well with me. Thankfully, I think my medication has been helping and I kind of, I've kind of navigated that water in a healthy way. So I'm still not entirely sure what I'm doing with that. I don't think I'm going to do it, but I'll let you know if I am. The other option that we were exploring while I was in the hospital was private health care. There's a organization based in Guelph that provides services for mental health and addictions. And we're looking into that. I applied for that on Sunday, a couple of days ago. And still just kind of waiting for whatever the next steps are there. So we'll, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I just want to give you an update in the meantime of uh, what's going on with me. For now, I'm just kind of bumming around at home. Caitlin went back to work this week. She's got an amazing employer that let her work from home last week after two weeks of you know not being able to work as she was concerned and tied up with my shenanigans. She's finally back to work, and I'm okay with it. I you know I was scared to be alone, but I feel... I feel okay right now. Like I said, I think my medication is working okay. And uh, I had a great session yesterday with my psychologist where he kind of actively like provided different perspectives on a couple of things that I was struggling with at the moment. And I said, you've basically done the CBT work for me and it's kind of opened my eyes to how I need to approach that in a more proactive way in a way that will help me going forward. Because before, when I was in a crisis situation, like all logic goes goes out the window. I can't be helped. But to actively have a couple of conversations about things that are concerning to me that I could potentially bring on another episode if things don't go my way, that we actually had a conversation around how to deal with that or seeing a different perspective on it really helped me, and I think I'm going to be okay. So that's an update on what's going on. And uh, we'll get into the conversation with Garrett now. Hope you enjoy. to introduce my first in-person interview for the podcast. Um, my old colleague Garrett Chisholm is here. Hi good Justin. To see, good to see you Garrett. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. <laughs> for context, uh, we know each other because we worked at uh, the former American Hockey League affiliate of the Montreal Canadiens. I don't care to use their actual name because they didn't treat me very well. But uh, that was almost five years ago when we met, and uh, 
yeah, we won't delve into that too much more because um, that uh, how that transpired was kind of a uh, a major stressor to me and kind of a contributor to where I've been mo- most more recently when I've actually decided to figure out my problems. Anything you care to add to that part? <laughs> I just think uh, you know being there and recognizing how uh, how the working environment was. Uh, you know, I always say. Um, I met a lot of great people at the Hamilton. Ah, uh, sorry. <laughs> well, uh, we might have to edit that. But uh, <laughs> met a lot of good people working there. But uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily the best uh, working environment, and definitely did contribute to. Uh, I, I I can see how uh, it would bring on some things because I felt the same way working there. So, and and that goes to show that you know your your environment and who you're surrounded by can really affect your mental health. Yeah. Did you experience that while you were there? To some degree, I did. Yeah. I, I don't think um, as much as uh, uh, as you necessarily, but um, you know, I I think I think that I recognized at the time, you know, that I did get out that it, I needed to uh, to make a change, and and uh, you know, it, it worked out uh, for the better in some regards. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, you came ahead um, yeah. out of leaving there, as as did I for a while, but I never really recovered from some of the issues that kind of festered while I was there, and then that brought me to hospital a few weeks ago, and now here we are, I'm out, and Garrett's here. We met for lunch recently, and uh, kind of bonded over our mental health concerns. Well, maybe we could take it back further that sure. it was, uh, you know, the Bell Let's Talk Day. You know, I'd been thinking about, you know, how I could make an impact on Bell Let's Talk. And, and you know, every year, the past couple of years, it's it's come out and everyone's really supportive of it. And, you know, I, I just, I wasn't sure how to get my story out. And this is honestly what happened. I woke up and, you know, I was kind of going through my social feed on uh on Twitter, and I, I saw your, um, I think it was Facebook actually, but you'd kind of posted your tweet that you'd sent out, and it just touched me, you know, and and to know you and the kind of guy you are, and and um, for what it meant for you to to post your story like that, it was inspiring to me, um, and, you know, and I, I I think I said when we met for lunch, you know, thank you for that, but that kind of spawned, you know, I posted my experience uh following following yours and then we kind of connected and said you know thanks a lot for sharing we should get together for lunch so that's kind of how that started right yeah and um when i decided i decided the night before that i was going to reveal this to everyone that i was going through depression and uh when i did that i didn't know what to expect what the outcome was going to be but the, the people that reached out and the people that confided in me that they had their own health issues and, and then you to do the same thing that I did, it's just, it's so bizarre to, like, just people come out of the woodwork and people said to me, oh, I had no idea. And I had the same kind of experience when you, when you shared your story because I was like, why why don't we talk about this stuff because we could have done so much for each other before this and like it it's just too bad yeah and 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 i know you you had the same experience where it's like people are reaching out to you and you're thinking to yourself like i had no idea 
you know, and it, and even still, like, I mean, last week, uh, you know, I, I play men's league lacrosse on Wednesday and a guy came up to me before the game that we were playing and he's like, we should talk. And I, and you know, it's before a game and I'm kind of getting ready for the game. And I was like, I thought he was like upset about something, you know? And he's like, no, no, we should talk. He's like, I'm like, well, what, what do you mean? And he said, oh, I, I saw your post on Facebook. And I said, oh, I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, any, anything you want to talk about? And it, I posted to let people know that I'm here to help, you know? And, and there was a thought where I, I thought, you know, oh, people are going to think I'm doing this for sympathy. And, and that's not, not the case. Cause I could have sat in silence like many people do and, and just, you know, trucked on. But the fact that we can openly talk about it, it, it almost makes you feel good. And I know in your podcast following our lunch, you know, you'd mentioned that it was a good day, you know, because we openly talked about things that, there was no insecurity with it. And, um, that, that's a big part of it because you don't necessarily know how people are going to react. Again, for the most part, people are positive when they're, they're reaching out to us and talking. Nobody has said anything bad to me. Exactly. The, the people I'm, I figure that, cause there's been some people that I was surprised have not reached out. And I, with my illness, I kind of turn that into, well, they don't care or they think differently about it and they don't want to talk about it. So I almost treat the not reaching out as negativity, but I know that's not the case when I'm kind of more clear clear on things. And I mentioned that to my cognitive behavioral therapist, and he said, that's your initial thought, you know, but the reality is, and, and it's not a fact, but the reality is they might not know how how to bring it up or, or how to start that conversation or and, and that's okay because maybe they will when they're ready or it, it could come out down the line. So I think the positives far outweigh the benefits of being honest with myself and, and um, letting people know, you know, that we're not alone in this. It is a, it, it's a serious issue. Um, and I think with initiatives like Bell Let's Talk, it's taken great, uh, great strides over the past couple of years. And I hope, you know, that there's a day where, this is, you know, something people talk about openly and, and not the necessarily negative connotation that sometimes comes along with it. A couple of things I want to touch on before I change subjects. One is that I just remembered that the day that we met, I said I was having a really good day and I continued to have a really good day. And it was like a flip of a switch um, later that night that uh, sent me into the worst uh, crisis event of my life. And I ended up in the hospital and it just, it's crazy when you're ill, how quickly things can turn. And, and I, uh, specifically listened to your, your podcast the next morning, driving, uh, to a friend's place to help him move. And, you know, I thought, oh, great. Like he's, he's feeling good. And then the fall, you know, I think I sent you a message and said, yeah, I listened to your podcast. I thought it was fantastic. You know, it was really nice uh, meeting with you. I'm so glad you're, you're feeling good. And then the next day, uh, to read that you're in the hospital, you know, and, and I, and I knew it wasn't even like I, I thought about it. I knew that's how quickly things can change. You can be feeling great one day or even, you know, hour to hour. It's, um, it's so such a, a small margin. When I was in the hospital, like I'd kind of have a psychiatrist come in or a nurse come in every day and kind of get a conversation going about how I'm feeling. And I would say, you know, I'm feeling okay, but I'm scared to be alone. I'm scared to go home. 
I'm, I'm scared to be alone. And if I am, I'm scared if I have another trigger like I did that night that I won't be able to get the support that I need. And that's terrifying. Like, that's just a reminder. I, I got better. My, my, my medication seems to be working really well. But, yeah, I kind of forgot how quickly that turned. That, that I, was, I, was, I was feeling great that day. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it does happen, though, you know. And it's, um, that's why I think it's so important that we let people know that, you know, we're always here. Whether or not we're checking in all the time, we're always here to talk or listen. Or even, you know, I've always said, like, human connection and, and, and conversation has always put me in a good place. So whether or not it's talking about mental health or talking about sports, which is, you know, something that I enjoy. And that was what was nice about our conversation was, you know, we talked a little bit about we talked a little bit about mental health, but we also talked about the Canadians and the other NHL teams and what they're doing. It was before the trade deadline. And that to me, it gets my mind thinking about different things. And, and it's just funny how, when you think about how the mind works and how the ups and downs and being alone is by far the worst because it's you alone with your thoughts. When you don't have anybody there to challenge them and you can't challenge them yourself, it kind of spirals real quick. And, you know, we, we, I've heard, listened to your podcast talk about, you know, isolation and you don't want to be isolated, but you almost can't, you know, face, uh, face the realities. And, and that's where, uh, it gets really, really tricky and, and, and scary at times. Before we move on to another subject, I just want to go back to Bell Let's Talk. Um, had you... and. I, it's going to sound like I'm tooting my own horn here. I'm trying not to, but... Toot away. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you decided to... Had you been thinking about it leading up to Bellat's Talk Day about sharing your story? And was there any was there any kind of a real process that went into doing that besides seeing my stuff? I had. Um, I think for me, again, it was uh, how, to, how to get it out and not... Again, I was struggling with the... Well, are people going to think I'm posting this to get, you know, sympathy as, which is again, a thought it's not, it's not a fact. And, you know, social media today is such a dominant thing in our life. Like people post about every, everything. Right. So I wanted to make sure that it, it was impactful. And I thought Bell Let's Talk would be a good platform because it was that day and it, it had a lot of attention. And then when I read how you had formulated it, it helped clarify how I wanted to do it mm. as well. So I had been thinking about it, but you definitely pushed me. So, or gave me that, you know, push that I needed. I'm glad I did. Cause we wouldn't be sitting here right now. You know, Absolutely. we, we, uh, haven't seen each other much since you left, uh, the organization that we worked together for. And, uh, no, I'm just glad that this, it's funny how this thing, that I'm struggling with has also brought me closer to some people. And I really appreciate that at the same time. When we met for lunch, um, you know, you shared with me your diagnosis over the summer. Can you talk about that process and kind of what, uh, what was the lead up to getting help and, uh, you know, how that went? Yeah. So for me, it's, um, I, I've been diagnosed with general anxiety disorder, which is a very broad, uh, spectrum and, and not, um, you know, a lot of people do suffer from general anxiety disorder, whether it's diagnosed or not. But for me, when I think back to like when I started feeling anxious, like it's something that I've always felt 
um, even, you know, as a, as a youngster, like being at home was always a safe place for me and being around my family. And anytime I had to challenge that or go outside of my boundaries, it brought on anxiety. And it was something I kind of, you know, I dealt with and I was always kind of told like, suck it up and let's go, you know, kind of that strong willed, uh, feeling. And it was just something I kind of always dealt with. Usually when I was put into a situation that I felt uncomfortable, nine times out of 10, I adapted to the situation and, and was fine. And that's kind of how you learn as a, as a child in anything, right? But, you know, some funny things I, I think about when I used to play hockey and it was any time it was like a tight game or like I didn't want to be, I was anxious. I, I was worried about making you a mistake. You didn't want to be the guy I, on the I ice. Didn't, I didn't want to be the guy on the oh. ice. So... You know, and, and not saying that I was a fantastic hockey player, but I, I was okay. It was just, I think that's really what separated, you know, I just didn't have that. I was worried about making a mistake. I was worried about, you know, someone coming down on me or disappointing mm-hmm. someone. So I guess fast forward to uh, to later in life, becoming uh, a teenager and uh, and into college. And, you know, you start making decisions on your own and you're you're thrown into different situations. And I got more comfortable with who I was and and my own uh, insecurities and then I started drinking you know and um, drinking for me was always something that made me feel really good and and I wouldn't say that I I was an alcoholic um, because I I I didn't drink throughout the week I wasn't someone who came home and and you'll crack open a drink but when I was in a social setting out with friends or going to a bar like I drank to feel good, to, to self-medicate myself. And Did I, that kind of take the edge off? For, for sure. Yeah. For, for those few hours that I was intoxicated, I, I felt great. I felt like I was, you know, I could say anything. I, you know, I, I was almost arrogant at points, you know, which mm. is not, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm an arrogant person. I no. don't know if you can no, I, <laughs> maybe I back me up on that. I but, can attest to yeah. that. Um, so I've recognized that now and, and I definitely do my best when I'm in situations now to not, you know, I still have the occasional beer here or there, but I, I watch how I'm binge drinking, we'll call it. Mm. So fast forward again to this summer. After I left the organization we worked for, I um, continued on in sports. I, I worked for another uh, organization, Toronto Rock Lacrosse Club. I do social media, media relation type things. And, and I travel with the team. So I'm, I'm pretty busy during the lacrosse season, which runs from December to last year would have been May. So, you know, we'd, we'd have a home game at uh, one game a week, um, home game, away games. So I'm either flying somewhere or I'm downtown uh, for a game. And, you know, you're working very often six, six days a week. It's not uncommon to work, you know, more than <laughs> the allotted 40 hour work week. Right. So I got so involved in, in work and it's, you know, I want to clarify that this wasn't pushed on by my employer. This is, this was me just wanting to do a good job and, and being involved. And I was almost on autopilot, you know, towards the end of our season where it's like you're, and, and I'm, maybe you can attest to this as well, that it just becomes very redundant and, and you're you're striving to get through through the season, and you're getting emotionally caught up in the wins and the losses. And we ended up losing the playoffs in the semifinals, and we uh, flew back from Atlanta. And I got home, and it was just like, 
that big exhale to where it was like, I just wanted to go to bed <laughs> and, and bury my head. And, and I did that. But the problem was I didn't want to do anything else. So I just bought a house with my fiance, who's now, now my wife. We've since gotten married. We were moving in August. I ended up getting, uh, getting mono from who knows. I wasn't kiss, huh. it wasn't kissing anyone, but uh, I picked it up somehow. And, you know, that all had a lot to do with how it, my energy levels and whatnot. But what was happening was, you know, on weekends, my, my wife or fiance at the time would say, well, let's go do this. Or, you know, let's go do this. And I, I was just caught in that isolation. And the anxiety of the season and, and, you know, the winning and losing and making sure that I was getting things done. And it just kind of caught up to me. And it put me into this depression, depressive state where, again, I was, uh, I wanted to be immobile. I didn't want to do anything. My, my drive and ambition for anything was gone. And, you know, I, I say, and you've talked about this too, the isolation. Like I just, I wanted that human interaction, but I didn't, you know, you wanted it to come to you. I wanted like it to come to me. I that's didn't, how I, I, I didn't want it. to go out anywhere. Um, and you know, for, for my fiance at the time, like she was saying like, what's going on here? Like we're getting married in a few months and you know, we're moving, we've just bought this, you know, uh, we we're upgrading our, our home and it, it scared her. Right. And then there's the guilt for me. Like, you know, I haven't, I obviously haven't been spe- spending a lot of time with her during, during the season. And, um, it, uh, it came to a headway. So having to explain to her kind of, well, you know, I've, this is, this has happened before and, you know, kind of, I felt almost like come coming out to her to say, I have anxiety. She didn't know that about me because it, it wasn't something that I'd really talked about openly with her because of the you know, the stereotype and the, you know, when we met, it's not the first thing you want to, you you want to tell someone, you know what I mean? Um, even though it's not something I'm ashamed of necessarily, it was just not the first thing you bring up when you're dating someone. You say that you weren't ashamed of it. Has that always been the case? No, not at all. No, because I, I can, I can attest to, I was ashamed of it until hundred percent. I'd say now, now is the, like, because of her support, is you know when I'm, I feel most comfortable about it, um, knowing that she's in my corner and 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 that's what she said. You know, she she took some time to digest it. I think and and really I think coming out afterwards, her her telling me was you know I wanted to help you so bad and I just didn't know how, right? It was nothing. It was something she'd never really had to deal with and getting some information and learning about it. You know, I think she told me, you know, I'm in your corner 100%. Like, we'll get through this together. That's and what a wife does. Exactly, right? <laughs> and um, and that made me so much more comfortable. And, you know, you asked me when I decided to make my post uh, and open up about it. A lot of it had to do with, with her support as well. Uh, knowing that, you know, I can take, take on this with... Uh, with with her and and with my my family as well. I mentioned you know my parents were were very hard on me growing up because they wanted me to be my best you know and I don't think they necessarily knew how to deal with it as a you know when your child is is scared and scared was the right word. A lot of times it was I was scared or worried 
And, you know, maybe that's a lesson for parents out there who do recognize that with, with their children. Like it might be an appointment, you know, an appointment with a cognitive behavioral therapist or a child, uh, you know, a child therapist just to find ways to cope with that worry early on so that as they get into their adulthood or their teenage years, they know how to deal with it a little bit, you know, more than me sitting here at, you know, into my thirties and dealing with it then. Yeah. Um, had you ever been diagnosed before? I had been diagnosed, um, probably about, I'd say seven or eight years ago was the first time that I really went to the doctor and said, man, I don't feel good. And the problem was where the situation I was in, I didn't have a family doctor. So it, it was, a you know, I was going to a walk-in clinic and it was very hard to pin down. I was living in a remote area as well. So it was hard to get the help that I really needed. So I was put on medication, which, which did help, but it wasn't until this summer that I really said, man, I need to get help. You know, was it back seven or eight years ago when you really identified that you aren't well? Cause you said you've coped with this your entire life. Yeah. Basically. Until, until seven or eight years ago, I just thought, Oh, I worry a lot. You know, like yeah. I was called, you know, as a joke, my, I'd be called a worry ward or, you know, like, Oh, don't worry so much. You know, it's going to be fine. And I just thought, Oh, well, that's the way I am, you know? But seven or eight years ago when I went to the doctor and I said, man, I don't feel good. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to get out of bed. I'm not happy with myself. I'm not, you know, that was when, when they put me on medication. But again, I didn't necessarily get the help I needed in terms of um, therapy. I believe you said, and uh, sorry if I'm wrong on this, but um, you said that you took some time at the summer when mm-hmm. uh, you we were diagnosed and you kind of things came to a head. Yeah, yeah. You took some time off from work. Yeah, I so again going back to like my employer, they were very supportive with it. So I went in and said to them, like, I'm having I'm having trouble. You have to remember too. I was also dealing with mono it I needed to take time off for that as well so when I went to them and said like listen I I'm just I'm beat I'm emotionally and physically drained um so they worked with me to take things off my plate which I needed at the time um and um and they said you know I remember them saying you know take the time take the time you need which I, I feel is really important I chose because of my love for my job and and um, wanting to be involved in things. I didn't take that much time. I took probably a week or two off just to kind of clear my head and and I went back and and things things were okay. Um, but it wasn't until I started seeing my therapist that I really started getting a clear head. So um, I just found being alone for me was hard. I I liked the um, the social aspect of work, as we talked about in, in previous uh, experiences, you know, I, I I do enjoy being at work. So that was my decision. But I definitely, you know, it's, it's a personal thing. If 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 people need to deal with things and take time off work, I 100% support that. Did you were you completely honest about your diagnosis with your employer? Or how did you kind of frame that to them? So 
I actually wasn't diagnosed until after I'd been back at work. So the first thing I went to them and said was, you know, like, I'm just, I, I knew because of my, my past, like I knew how I was feeling and I knew that's what was happening, but it wasn't until I started seeing a therapist. I mean, I, I went to my doctor, my family doctor, and they, he said, I'm, I want you to go and talk to someone, which he and I had talked about in the past. And I said, okay. And I called to make an appointment and they said, well, the first one we have is, you know, six months from now. <laughs> right. So, which, which is a problem. It's yeah. Uh, mine problem. was, mine was three, but even still like, what if I'm going to like, I had to go to the hospital a couple weeks ago. Yeah. What if I wasn't going to make it three months? And, like, and I remember calling in uh, to make the appointment. And just when she said that, the, the receptionist said, you know, well, we first when we ha-, and I thought to myself, like, this is crazy. Like, I'm, I'm probably going to be able to get through this. You know, it's going to be hard. But imagining someone else who might not have that strength is pretty scary. You know what I mean? So I know that there's probably other avenues that I could have gone if I really would have needed it. But with my employer... I was already back at work when I started seeing my therapist. So we agreed to work through it together. And, um, and actually, you know what, when I, I didn't mention this, but when I did make my post on Bell Let's Talk Day, I had my boss come to me and say, you know, that, that was really, uh, that took a lot of courage for you to do that. And, you know, I'm in your corner a hundred percent, whatever you need, which meant a lot. That's awesome that uh, that you had that kind of reception at work. Speaking from my experience, uh, I had been let go from my job with uh, the affiliate of the Montreal Canadiens, who was no longer an affiliate at the time when uh, when I was let go. There were some kind of changes, whether it was my fault or not. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, it felt very personal at the time, and I took that really hard. And I was off work for three months while I was looking for work. Had some interviews, thought things were going to work out, and they didn't. And then an opportunity came along to work at Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. It's the biggest uh, sports company, I guess, in the country. Um, working with uh, the minor league affiliate of the Toronto Raptors, and I was involved with with the Raptors kind of loosely. Like I'd, I'd help them out where I could. And starting that right off the gate, I, basically I was doomed from the beginning because I... I couldn't, I couldn't handle the what I was doing because it was it was very busy. I was going in like two weeks before the season started, which is which is like thinking about that is crazy for me just because I know yeah. kind of how busy it is around that time. So basically, the first week that I was started working there, I started looking for work again. I was like, I, I can't handle this. I like I gotta find something easier. And uh, I was there for six months. I worked an entire. I worked one full season. Right after the season was done, I I had landed a new position and I moved on. And the new position offered me uh, some great benefits and the opportunity to work a regular schedule. I went from working all the time to working like nine to five and every weekend off and things like that. So that was really. It was really nice at the beginning, mm-hmm. but as time went on, I noticed myself like just getting more and more depressed about this. And I, I said when I left uh, Raptors 905 and MLSE that I was not going to regret the decision that I was leaving sports on my own terms. I got out. 
And what ended up happening was I started to regret leaving because like this job wasn't any better. Like I had it's a different scenario, but it wasn't any better. And um, that came to a head in October when I finally decided to go see a psychologist and they put me off work immediately and I haven't been back. It's been five months now and I never imagined that I would have been off this long, but I still have a long way to go. I don't know how long this is going to be exactly, but uh, I, yeah, I, looking back on it to comparing myself to what you did, I didn't feel comfortable bringing this up with my manager. My manager was a busy guy. Uh, he was the director of media relations for the Raptors, and I didn't talk to him that much, and I just didn't feel comfortable like bringing this to him. And I was like, well, there's 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 no way to resolve this situation here. I'm just going to leave. And had I went to him at the time, I'd still be there. I'm very confident in that. And I and I think, you know, to compare situations, it, it is a little different because I have been with this uh, organization for, you know, five years now. And I don't know if I would would have felt as comfortable had it been six months into the to the job, you know. So um, I certainly sympathize with that. You know, it's not it's not an easy, it's definitely not an easy thing to make yourself vulnerable in front of someone that you're not comfortable with. You know what I mean? And and I've and I've thought about you know what it would be like working a another another job, you know, and. And I always come back to the fact that, you know, I, I love sports. I, I love my job. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I have a, uh, you know, an employer who's uh, very understanding and, and, and great. And, um, you know, doing the pros and cons, the pros always outweigh the cons. So the other thing I didn't mention was the year before, uh, our team owner sponsored uh, an initiative with Michael Landsberg which was a sick not weak speaking engagement that he did in Peterborough and actually took us, uh, us all up there. It was, uh, you know, a lot of TSN personalities. Uh, Michael Landsberg was there. Some, you know, hockey players, Haley Wickenheiser, just a lot of people that are on board with the, the bell let's talk or the, uh, the, you know, mental health awareness campaign. And that was another reason why I felt comfortable going to them, knowing that, you know, they, they support it. So when he believed in exactly, I, uh, I missed the team aspect and how, how tight everybody gets over the course of a season when you work in sports. I never thought I'd regret leaving sports. I kind of do now because going to a corporate environment, there was a lot more dry and, you know, it's just a different world. I, and I said it at first, like I was really enjoying it at first as I was, I felt like I was barely working. And uh, and getting paid a lot more to do it. And as this time went on, I was like, man, I just really missed the team aspect of the sports environment. Like, everybody's just really tight. We had a great team at the Bulldogs in the first year. And I just said the name of the team. And I said, I said half of the name before, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be tough to decipher. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, it, it really... Uh, I really, it brought back that team aspect this week when I received in the mail a jersey and a signed card from everybody that I worked with while I was there, um, you know, just letting me know that they were thinking of me at this time. And I just got that and I was like, I don't, I don't even know what to say. Like, 
I that's uh that's the team I should still be with. And mm-hmm. That uh, it's you know I messed it depression messed it up. It's tough to it's tough to handle sometimes. I think you know seeing um, even just in your face how you said you know that they they thought enough to send you that and I think that's great and um, there's a lot of people pulling for you in this. I know um, I know I'm I'm a big supporter and anything uh, you know I can do to help you and and I think. You know, once you start feeling better and, and, and confident enough, I, I'm sure you can get back into uh, into sports. I think it's where, where you belong. You're uh, a great team member, and um, and you do a great job. So I, I wouldn't close that door just yet. I think there, there could be opportunity down the road for you. Thank you. My ego is uh, properly inflated now. Thank you. Let's <laughs> appreciate that. Um, going back to kind of what you went through over the summer and – you know, getting that diagnosis and I guess dealing with this anxiety your entire life. Can you kind of describe the symptoms and kind of what triggers it or if, if you even know? Yeah. So I think the first, uh, the first symptom I have is like a literal pit in my stomach. I've, I've felt it different times in my life where it's just like almost a nauseating feeling of, worthlessness being tired all the time was something that uh, or lack of energy maybe not tired all the time lack of energy is a big one and you know I know there's a correlation between physical activity and and mental health and I'm still not there um, in my recovery Uh, you know I don't go to the gym every day I know and I don't know if if you remember this but before I left the Bulldogs I dropped about 60 pounds um, yeah, you're eating right. Started eating right. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I was, you know, running, running probably, I want to say about 15 to 20K a week, which for me, like I'm a bigger guy. Like the, I would have never dreamed that I would, would do that. But, you know, I just got, got into a routine and, and that was probably the best, honestly, when I think back to it, like in my whole entire life, the best I've ever felt was when I was eating right and uh, exercising. And it's so easy and I'm a firsthand, you know, example of how quickly you can fall off that. And it, it's just such a very important thing. And, and I talk to my therapist about that all the time. And he, he asked me every time I see him, like, how, you know, how's your, your physical uh, activity going? And, I, and, and I'm trying, you know, um, but that was one thing. Like I had absolutely zero ambition to do anything like any even just go to the grocery store, like go for a walk with my dog and my wife. Like I just didn't, didn't want to, you know? And, and that was when I knew like, I'm in serious trouble here. I got a, I I need to go see someone because, you know, I was alone with my thoughts. I was having very, very deep thoughts. I didn't act on them, which, you know, obviously I'm grateful for. Do you mean like thoughts of suicide? Yeah. Like, I mean, again, I never attempted to take my own life. But more so the thought of what if I wasn't here, you know, it just freaks you out. It, it it's it's a very serious thing because, you know, I love my family, I love my friends, I love my the team I work for, uh, you know, it's it's my life, it's it, it is my my dog, you know, and I and I think I mentioned to you, you know, I started carrying around a picture of my wife or my fiance at the time and my dog, because that you know that is what I live for, you know, and. Uh, again, I never, I never got to the, 
the serious thought of acting on it. But there were a lot of mornings I woke up and I thought, you know, what if today, like, I just, this was it, you know? And I know this is a very heavy, heavy talk we're having right now, but I think it's important to know that someone can seem perfectly fine and, and yet they're battling every day. And we don't know what people are struggling with. We don't know what they're thinking. And they could be putting on a brave face every day. I always say be kind. That's kind of my new my new thing. Be kind always because we don't know. You know, I, I honestly just, I wouldn't had no idea. Unless you had said that, I, you know, and I know we haven't spoken really for, for a while. Uh, you know, I kept tabs on you through social media. I knew, I knew you worked for 905 and I thought that was great for you. Um, knowing kind of the toxic environment you were coming from your previous employer um and i actually you know i was just i was surprised to know that that you were struggling with that because i would have never known in our conversations right and i think you could probably say the same about me yeah i said that off the top that it's just a shame we don't talk about it because you know if if i had known that you had dealt with some of the stuff when you're at the bulldogs and i was at the bulldogs that you know, I could have been there for you and vice versa, you know, yeah. and, and it's, it's, it's nice that we're doing this now, but it would have been nice to do it five years ago yeah, too. For sure. Yeah. How have you, uh, since you've had your diagnosis and over the summer you took your time off, how have you been treating the, uh, your anxiety? So as, as I mentioned, I've been seeing a cognitive behavioral therapist since, uh, just before Christmas. Um, they actually kind of bumped me up. So fall, I got married in October, and about two weeks later, I'd come back from went on a kind of a mini honeymoon. My wife's a teacher, so she uh, we got a couple days away to Florida, and um, you know it was nice to sit sit on the beach and take in the rays at that time. And you know I came back feeling pretty good. You know I just got married and things were were uh, going well, and I got got a call from from the I'd actually been sent to a a mindfulness uh, center. So to see a psychiatrist and he kind of did an assessment of me and some of the questions he was asking me were just, I was almost insulted uh, with the experience with him. And, um, you know, I, I remember leaving and texting my, my wife and saying like, this is a big waste of time. Like I'm, it was awful. I didn't enjoy it. Isn't it crazy how you need to, I don't know how many times the first time around I had a, I had a similar episode 10 years ago and I went through like three or four psychologists before I met somebody that jived with me. Yeah. And it's just, that was my will to keep living is what made me want to keep trying. I was lucky this time around that the first guy I met was great, but it can be trying sometimes. Had to you find had the right some, person. Yeah. And had you had someone who, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think it's just like a lack of compassion almost. And and maybe that's, I'm not a psycho, I'm not a psychiatrist. Like I don't, you know, I, I don't know how, how they're trained to, to assess people. And, but I think just as a human being, having compassion for someone that you know is probably going through a tough time because they're there to see you, <laughs> you know, um, that was my biggest thing is like, you know, he, he kind of said to me, well, what do you want me to do? And I was like, I just want to feel better, man. Like, I just, I don't want to, I, I don't want to wake up feeling like crap every day. You know, I want to get back to being happy. And, you know, he asked me questions about my life. And, and obviously, uh, 
we talked about that and I remember him saying, you know, like, uh, how's, how's your, your married life? And I said, well, I just got married like two weeks ago and pretty good so far. Yeah, if it's, it's not, you get a problem. It's pretty good so far. Yeah. So, um, he basically determined that I, I, you know, with resources that, sorry, I could go, uh, I should go see a, a cognitive behavioral therapist. So, uh, called them, got me in right away, went to see someone, um, and, and he did an assessment. 180 degree like you know complete opposite of my previous experience very compassionate very understanding not even understanding just listen you know didn't make judgment on anything just listen to what I had to say and you know ask me questions about how I'm feeling and I remember like him you know writing things on the board and saying do you feel this way do you feel you know and and it's just like yes 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 that's how i feel that's you know like please help me you know and right away we got into you know coping mechanisms um you know we've we've talked a lot about our thoughts and and i and i do believe that uh you know my own insecurities contribute a lot to my thoughts which is just the way i am you know and being able to like challenge my thoughts and like think about you know the outcome and is it accurate? No. It's kind of created a new way of thinking for me that has helped me so much in in everything, in everything I do. And just not, um, you know, you've talked a lot about cognitive distortions. You know, we go, we go through that quite a bit. And it just, it kind of reassures your mind that you're not, uh, your, your thoughts are not always accurate. So, and a lot of times when, when we do thought records you know, I almost end up laughing at the end because it's like, I can't believe I'm, that's my initial thought, you know, that's not to say that there are some thoughts that people have that, you know, aren't accurate. They do happen. And there are situations, you know, life isn't always going to be, you know, hundred percent roses. There are things in your life that are going to be challenging and going to be difficult. But if you think rationally about them ahead of time, I really think uh, that's been the biggest change for me. Um, you know, and, and now when I go and see him, it, it's more of a checkup of, and this has been going on for about, you know, five months now. So now when I go and see him, a lot of it is, well, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I haven't had too many challenge, you know, thoughts where I've, I've had to really challenge myself. I'm, I'm not jumping to conclusions. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm really being conscious of, of how I think. Uh, in episode 10 of, of this podcast, uh, I talked about my experience in the hospitals that I was at over the last couple of weeks. Started out with an amazing psychiatrist in Burlington. He was the most compassionate, kind, just wonderful man I've maybe ever met in my entire life. He's amazing. There were some things that happened in Burlington that made me feel unsafe in the hospital. I needed to get help somewhere else. So I ended up leaving that hospital, but that psychiatrist is amazing i go over to oakville because they said you know they've got private rooms over there uh, you will you know it might be a better experience for you they kind of guided me to go to oakville so i go to oakville and the psychiatrist i meet in emergency walks in sits down and says why do you need to be here in that tone and I was like, took me back immediately. And then he continued with that kind of attitude. And I just kind of stopped. I was lying and questioning. And I was like, why are you giving me so much attitude? And he's like, I'm not giving you any attitude in that tone. Mm-hmm. And um, 
just another example of how the, the different personalities you're going to get and that like that was very off-putting he actually made me very angry actually ended up like flipping my bed and then eventually when I got up to the ward I had another good psychiatrist and I'm very thankful for that but I will never deal with that guy again in my life and and it just it really makes <laughs> I don't to hear that like and I did hear that uh, in, in the podcast but it, it brought me back to my experience with you know the first uh uh, gentleman I talked to and I, I shouldn't even call him a gentleman he uh, he just again it was so off-putting and it's like why do I want to seek help if this is how it's gonna you know gonna be right you're making it worse exactly I, I just I'm better off on my own yeah I I completely get that um, when you were when you when you saw the professionals did, did you get any medication so I've been through my family doctor I've been um, on an, like anxiety um medication for a few years now okay um so they they up my my dose when i initially went to see my my family doctor he upped my dose on that um my cognitive behavioral therapist is strictly uh just way, way of thinking you know coping mechanisms and and i've been good like i don't i i think my medication has been where it needs to be uh in the past i've been on other um i've been on antidepressants um i'm trying to think of uh ciprolax was was what it was i i can't remember the dose 100 percent, but you know there were side effects with that that i i wasn't happy with so when i went to see my family doctor we kind of changed to the uh to what i'm on now it's it's called the fexer you know i'm on a I'm not on a on a extremely high dose, but I am, you know, I'm up from where I was. Um, and, and there's been, I'd say maybe three years ago, I, I tried to wean myself off of, uh, with his help. And I, I, again, never recommend anyone, you know, if, if you are on medication, don't ever try and get off medication without, you know, professional help. And it just, it wasn't working. So we went, you know, we went back and I, I'm not ashamed of being on, on medication for something that helps me. I think that sometimes that does carry some negative uh, stereotype, but the reality is that if it's helping you and it's making you feel good, there's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. At this point, I pretty much hate it when anybody says that, oh, I don't want to be on any medication. There's no shame in it. Um, I would take medication for any other illness, so why wouldn't I take medication for this? It's helping me, and that's what I need. Exactly, I'm not ashamed of it. Exactly, and and knowing how you feel, you know, when you, when you're not on medication is, it, it is. It's there to help you, and you know, I think I have trust in my family doctor to know that he's not going to um, harm me in any way. If if uh, if he suggests that it's something that's going to help, it's going to help. You know, and and actually my own like family members have have said to me before like you really should you know think about getting off medication and it's just not something that i'm i'm going to do that doesn't make any sense no. to me like no. if you understood what the issue was you'd be like of course yeah you and you're right medication. if you need medication for your heart or for you know something else that's gonna it's like i'm a diabetic but i'm not gonna take my it, no, uh, no insulin, my insulin. No, yeah no, no, it's, it's bad for you <laughs> Come on. Okay. Um, you mentioned side effects to your medication. I just want to point out right now, just as an aside, that I've been drinking like five or six liters of water a day. 
I'm on three different medications. I take 300 milligrams of Wellbutrin. I take 100 milligrams of Seroquel and 50 milligrams of Amitriptyline. And all three of those medications, I looked this up the other day, one of the top side effects is dry mouth. And right now as I sit here, like I'm guzzling water and I feel like I haven't drank anything in days. You asked me if I wanted water before we started this and I can definitely feel my <laughs> mouth getting dry. So, oh, Sorry about that. No, it's my, that's, my, that's on me. That's on me. Um, before your diagnosis, how did you deal when 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 stuff came up? Uh, your, your kind of symptoms. That's a good up? question. I you know what? Like I don't know if I necessarily did like deal. Like I think I just kind of I would panic. Like I'd get kind of panicky a lot. You know when um, we'll go back even like when we worked together in that situation. Like I was. Um, doing a lot of sales related stuff, which was more dealing with people. And, you know, anytime something went wrong, like it was like panic mode, you know what I mean? And I think that was one of my downfalls in that position was my ability to deal with confrontation and, and problems. You know what I mean? Like, I think I was a great um, customer service rep. Like I'm good at when things were, were going well, you know, like people were always happy, but Anytime something went wrong or, or I had to fix something, like, I did, but it was just, like, ultimate panic mode. And that's when I, you know, noticed that I needed to get help, you know? So, and that that wasn't necessarily at that time, but I think um, my initial thought was always, like, oh, this is the end of the world, and, I, you know. Yeah, I remember, and correct me if I'm if I'm not on the same page on this, but I remember you were in charge of an exhibition game mm -hmm. in, in Dundas. Yeah. And I, I remember kind of how much you were freaking out. Over yeah. It. Like stuff like any big endeavor or close, a better example, my wedding this summer, like okay. very, uh, and, and you're right. Like that in Dundas, like it was always like this deep breaths, like almost like not hyperventilating, but like sort of hyperventilating, like very deep breaths and like, always taking that like long exhale and you know rubbing my hair <laughs> playing with my beard and like I would just get anxious about like big things big big events like um you know we had a buck and doe this summer for my for my wedding and like I, I just remember the stress that that brought on to me in that time like because I was not well at that time that was a very very hard endeavor for me to do because it was just like constant stress and constant thinking about getting you know we had to get you know alcohol but you don't want to buy too much because you don't you know or you're not going to have enough or you're going to have enough food or people going to show up or you know and like rather than using the cognitive behavioral you know mechanisms that i've been taught because i didn't have them at the time you know it it, it was always just such a a big deal and it's you know people have said to me like if you don't stop worrying like you're gonna have you're gonna have a heart attack or you're gonna have health problems and that that does come along with you know increased blood pressure that kind of thing right so that gets into another argument about why mental health isn't more funded because I we I talked about this with my wife the other day that there there are so many problems that are rooted in mental health that come out physically mm -hmm. like your heart problems or you know, you overeat and then you end up with diabetes or yeah. something like that. There's, if you, if we can nip it in the bud with mental health taken care of first and foremost, I think we'd see such less strain on our healthcare system. That's a good point. Yeah. I've, uh, 
I haven't necessarily thought about that that way, but you're you're hundred percent right. You know, why do people smoke? Well, it, it calms and, them down. And that's something else I I didn't mention. I used to smoke, and and hundred percent because of the way it made me feel and calm calm my nerves. Yeah, uh, I've since you know quit obviously because of the the health risks, but. I remember, you know, the feeling of just taking that break and like the nicotine and all that kind of thing. But you're right. It's there are so many things attached to mental health sleep. You know, I I mean, I don't I've never been someone who slept really well. Uh, I'm still struggling with that. You know, I'm working on that with my therapist as well. We we often, uh, especially nowadays, will, you know, everyone has a TV in their bedroom they have devices in their bedroom and basically what he said to me is unless you're going to sleep do not be in your bedroom he said yeah, i had the same conversation yeah. actually yeah he he said you know it's your your body thinks of your bedroom as a place to like unwind and relax and that's not what that room's for so you have to you know believe in your mind that when you're going to sleep that's when you go to bed so now if i lie in bed for more than half an hour and i can't sleep i get up until i'm absolutely exhausted um and and that's another way of thinking uh and not to get too far off track here but you know i always thought to myself like i need to go to bed at early so i can get up early he said that's not the way necessarily to think about it you need to get up the same time every day and that's how you set a routine for sleep so if you're if you're going to bed at say two o'clock and you get up at seven the next day your body's going to be so tired that you're going to sleep when you need to sleep. It's not getting up at a certain time. It's sorry. It's getting up at a certain time. It's not necessarily going to bed at a certain time, but that's some of my, (laughs) that's a little bit off track, but no, but I had the same conversation oddly enough with my psychologist and, uh, call it sleep hygiene and getting, yes. Sleep hygiene is a good, because I think when I'm not sleeping well, that affects my mental health. And since I've tried to get up early every day and try to consistently get up at the same time, I, it's so much easier. Like I'm not sleeping in until mm-hmm. 10, 11, noon anymore. Yeah, which um, is very easy when when you're you know having having issues. Yeah, uh, I wanted to ask. Uh, or I'll kind of give my little rant here about the whole sick not weak movement and what Michael Landsberg has done. I. I still struggle when I start going when I start spiraling. I'll uh, I'll start questioning the validity of my illness, and you know, there's nothing. I don't actually have an illness. I'm just I'm a, I'm a baby, I'm in, or I'm weak, or whatever. I still do it, even though like I want to become a mental health advocate. I'm I'm you know I'm pursuing potential opportunities and how I can become a peer support worker, at least on a volunteer basis. I'm just trying to do as much as I can because I don't my my uh, drive comes from I don't want people to feel how I've felt, so I I completely understand it as an illness. But then when I get to a certain point, when I'm down on myself, I start questioning it. How was that for you? Has it? How, did you always think of it as an illness, or did have you did you struggle with that I'm weak part? Hundred uh, percent, I. I mean, I, I never even considered it to be an illness until about, you know, seven years ago when it did start to come out. And, you know, people, uh, you know, and you say you mentioned like I, I, I'm a baby, like, you know, thinking that 
your baby or or I I feel that I'm you know I should just suck it up. I'm not as strong as everybody else. Right. And you know the reality is that people in our world are taking their own lives because of mental illness and and the way that they're feeling and you don't choose that. You don't choose to feel that way. That's what I always think now when people make negative comments or, and not that I've experienced necessarily, but you know, hearing things in the past, you don't choose to feel that way. It's not like you sit there and say, Oh, I'm just going to take time off work. And it, it's in your makeup. It's the way that it's, it's in your, and there's, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I'm not, you know, and I'm not claiming to be, I have a history of mental illness in my family going, you know, a few generations back athletes who are supposed to be the strongest how many people you know have we lost in the last 10 years even going back now these guys that are supposed to be tough guys like nhl fighters nhl fighters musicians you know i know that there there are a lot of other things that could be attached to that but it's not something people choose and i and, and i think about that when I when I do start to think about the validity of it, like you, I think you use that word, the validity of it. I can't help the way I feel. If I need to get help, whether it be through medication or counseling or you know downtime or self care, self care. You're right. You know, use sleep hygiene. We we talk about you know exercise, drinking water. Sometimes you need a reset, you know, and, and that's why I think you're. You know, I commend you for taking such a proactive taking care of you know your yourself to make sure that that you arm armor yourself with you know ways to to deal with this because i think it's something i'm going to deal with for the rest of my life you know uh, i i really do i think that i need to be on top of it um i think with the help of my family and my friends and doing things like this and um Michael Landsberg and Bell Let's Talk. And I hope that, you know, we get to a point where it is in the, the healthcare that, you know, people can, can access help when they need it and whether they need to take a leave of absence from work, whether they need to, to add, you know, another hour break in a day, you know, maybe that's down the line. But I really think that we're moving in the right direction. I think we're still a ways away. But um, it's funny because Michael Landsberg, you know, you watch him on TV and he always had the, the personality. He had this swagger about him. Have you ever he? met him? Um, I have. Yes. And uh, he's actually going to be on the podcast this time next week. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's fantastic. He, I saw him for the first time uh, at a speaking engagement through the Canadian Mental Health Association. And he 100% blew my mind. I was working for bell at the time and he basically said to me after you know send me an email like i want to talk to you i want to you know let me know how things are going when i met him again in peterborough a few years like two years ago he remembered me wow from he's dealing with so many people in the same shoes um so i don't think he remembered me by name but he remembered the face you know what i mean and and he asked me how i was doing and even whether or not he did or didn't it, it that meant you know the the 
his ability to connect with people and make them feel normal, you know, and that they're not the only ones going through this. And in a sad, like when he puts out tweets and stuff where it says he's not feeling well or he's having a bad day, it almost makes me feel good to know that he's so strong and yet he's vulnerable at the same time. Yeah. And uh, through this experience that I've had um, being in the hospital and actually hit my lowest point um, almost two weeks ago today, it was a, later in the week, but almost two weeks ago where I had resigned myself to killing myself. Like, this is this is it for me. Uh, there's I've got nothing past this. Um, I need to get out of here so I can just end my life. And what I needed at that time was a a peer who had been through it to come in and say, I've been where you are and there is hope and you're going to get through this and I'm going to help you. And, uh, that was, that was missing at the time. I I eventually did get to see a peer worker later in the week, but that's, that's kind of changed my tune on how I, how I look at things. I don't want, like I said before, I don't want anybody to feel the pain that I've felt and I'm basically dedicating the rest of my life to changing that, that when, that I can be in a position to help someone when they need it. I've started, I've started tweeting people. I do this podcast. I'm going to start volunteering hopefully soon in it with a organization in Halton that has peer support offerings. And, uh, yeah, it's time to, time to do something about it. I need to be more, more like Michael Landsberg, I think. But I think his big thing is, you know, end the stigma and making it a prominent thought amongst, you know, that mental health is something that can affect anyone and that it's not necessarily something that, you know, if you hurt your leg, you're walking with a limp. You know, if you hurt your arm, it's in a sling. Mental health and when people are suffering, it's not something you know. And I think being open and honest about it is the best thing that we can do. And I, you know, I've said already, I commend you for, for doing this. And it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, be here. It has been a roller coaster for me. I went from June of last year or May or June, admitting to my wife that I had thoughts of suicide to October when I finally decided to do something about it. I kept putting it off, putting it off. And, and then in January, coming out with it to everybody and this podcast since, it brings me relief just to talk about it and put it out there, and I hope it helps somebody. That it has been helping people, I think. And I this is this is what I'm supposed to do now. That's the way I look at it. Before we go, I'll I'll wrap up. I've monopolized your time here. Just the last thing I wanted to know is if you have any advice to people who are suffering in silence. All it takes is uh, confiding in in someone that you trust. Um, as I mentioned, for me, uh, I was able to talk to people at work. Um, I was able to talk to my wife, uh, my fiance about it. And, you know, t- it, there's people will have time for you. I, I know you think they might not or they, you know, if, if they don't know, they might, you know, be there to listen. And I think that's another thing, too, is if someone on the flip side of it, if someone does come to you with, you know, uh, telling you that they're 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 hurting or they're having um, mental health issues is just listening and not trying to fix them, not trying to uh, 
you know, you can offer advice and you, you know, but I think directing them to seek uh, professional help is a great, uh, a great suggestion, but just listening and following up with them, making sure uh, they know that you're in their corner and we're all in this together. So never uh, hesitate. People can reach out to me on, on, uh, on Twitter if, uh, if they need to. And I'm, I'm always here to listen. My Twitter uh, is at gchiz21. So G-C-H-I-Z-Z-2-1. The shameless plug. <laughs> All right, man. Um, I think we'll wrap it up with that. Uh, appreciate you being here. Glad I call My you pleasure. a friend. And I'm so happy that we're able to talk about this this openly. 100%. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. That is a wrap on episode 12. I appreciate uh, Garrett taking the time to be here. Uh, over an hour we had a conversation, and uh, I think it went well. If uh, you made it to the end, I assume you think it went well too. <laughs> and uh, just want to say thank you for tuning in. And this episode has been brought to you by Dickie's Meats because my dad continues to pay for the hosting services. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.